It's June 7th, 1993, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. When most people officially change their name, they tend to be aiming for either a nicer-sounding moniker or something that fits better with their current sense of self. Not quite so many people change their name to free themselves from a multi-million dollar contract with a major record label, and even fewer take on a symbol that has absolutely no way of being pronounced. But the pop star Prince wasn't really like most other people, and his story took just such an unspeakable (laughs) turn today in history in 1993. Yeah, I mean, why did he do it? Uh, His own explanation in the statement that he released on this day isn't especially helpful if you're looking for concrete explanations. Uh, He says, it's all about thinking in new ways, tuning in to, that's the number two, a new frequency. And that's spelled F-R-E-E, Quincy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, look, guys, I think he laid it out pretty clearly. (laughs) (laughs) I admire the audaciousness of this, and some of it seems quite prescient now doesn't it like the idea that an artist might choose you know pronouns is still a big thing isn't it the Mm. idea that an artist might say oh I want to be known as this and challenge the way the media talk about people and also this concept I suppose of um being a mashup of the gender symbols for man and woman he was fusing the astrological symbols for Mars and Venus to make this love symbol which is the symbol you're thinking of when we say prince that thing but it did come across as so pretentious (laughs) I mean at the end of the day you know, because the problem is you can't pronounce, and this is why the media sort of laid into him. You can't, but he didn't say how it was pronounced, which is funny, but also tedious when he then continued to have hits for 20 years. You had to call him the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah, but the reason that he was doing it was that he, in a nutshell, he wanted to release loads of songs and he had this absurdly huge work rate really throughout his career, but it was speculated that around this time he had about 500 unreleased tracks that were stored in his so-called vault uh, in Paisley Park, his home in Minneapolis. And Warner Brothers, the label who he was signed to, really understood that that kind of output, if they were to bow to him and say, yes, we'll release every single one of your songs on as many CDs as you want, could undermine his value rather than heightening it. And they were saying to him, we want you to release just one album a year, more or less. And that's kind of the rate that we are happy with. And that's all that we're going to allow you to do. And they had this ongoing many album deal with him that meant that he had to keep working with them until his literal debt was paid. Yeah, Prince had grown extremely bitter and cynical about the music industry and record labels in general, and particularly his contract. You know, he saw Warner Brothers as taking away his creative control and also his name. They had trademarked the name Prince for promotional purposes. So they were making money from his actual identity. That was his birth name. He was named after his father was a performer and that was one of his stage names was Prince Nelson. So he called his own son Prince. Apparently, Prince himself was never actually a huge fan of it. I mean, you can imagine it's a bit of a Freudian nightmare <laughs> to be to be named after your father's stage name. Right. But nonetheless, he was aware that Warner Brothers were making money off of him and his identity. So it really was a way to stick it to them and to assert his independence. So he really had to be dragged crying, didn't he, in 1992, just the year before, to sign a $100 million <laughs> deal with them. He must have just hated them so much. I mean, and that is... That's where the slave stuff sticks in the craw, isn't it? So he took to writing slave on his face at this point. If you remember, he'd perform at the Brit Awards and the Grammys with the word slave on his face, kind of in servitude to Warner Brothers. But he had just signed a new contract. And from Warner Brothers' point of view, 
They'd been backing him since 1977 when he was still a teenager. He didn't have a hit until 1981. Mm. They backed him all that time, one album per year, and they were saying, here's an almost unprecedented amount of money for you to continue for the rest of your life releasing one album a year. And we don't even mind if it's from the 500 songs you've already got in your house that you wrote 20 years ago. That's okay. We just don't want to put them all out at once. You can just sit back on your pile of money, Prince, and let us put out 10 songs a year. We know what we're doing and you can be Prince. I mean, it seems like quite a good deal to me. He wasn't exactly subtle about the metaphor either. His first post Warner Brothers contract album, which was released in 1996, was called Emancipation. <laughs> and I, what, I appreciate that yes, coming from a you know very wealthy, very successful pop star, it does grind the gears a little bit. But there is definitely something there in the historical and cultural relationships between African-Americans and naming. You know, obviously you had enslaved people who were renamed by their masters and adopting their owners' surnames after emancipation. Right up into the civil rights era, you've got the controversies over Cassius Clay becoming Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X suggesting that African-Americans should get rid of their slave names and adopt new names. And obviously all of the backwards and forwards over, you know, so-called invented African-American names and ways to break the chain of that you know, history of slavery and renaming. So he's playing into all of these factors in doing this as well. You know, he's sort of putting himself in the tradition of a Muhammad Ali or a Malcolm X who's shedding what he considers to be his, quote, slave name, even though, you know, obviously in this case, he is a very successful recording artist and and not actually being forced to work for free. But of course, Warner still had to find a way to promote him. And I think another reason why it didn't go down very well is probably because they really had to upset a whole lot of the people who were meant to be saying praiseful things about the artist formerly known as Prince. And they had to send out thousands of floppy disks with this special symbol that they could put into their font set so as to be able to even write about him in their music magazines or newspapers or whatever. And I think if you upset enough journalists and you've also got an album or two to promote, they're not going to say nice things about you. Yeah, I mean, I think for Prince, that was considered an ancillary benefit because he was no fan of the press either. So I think something that would also wind (laughs) them up was perfectly in his wheelhouse. But apparently the idea for the floppy disk stunt came around internally. A guy called Chuck Hermes, who was a graphic designer working on Prince's team, told New York Magazine that they had been banned from referring to him as Prince, even in internal comms. So his own entourage were drawing the symbol out freehand when they were writing, but they needed a computerized version for emails and stuff like that. So they came up with this idea, okay, we've got to develop a font that has the symbol in it, then we're going to send the font out. But actually, even though it sounds like it was just a publicity stunt, magazines and newspapers, or at least some of them, did start using this symbol, but probably because of Prince's reputation for litigiousness rather than out of deference to his artistic vision. Well, neither, just because you are reviewing the CD. Like, what it, what do you put as the name of the artist if you haven't got the symbol in your font library? I mean, you need it, don't you? Whatever you're going to say about the album. What's weird is, I think, that here we are in 2023, and as far as I'm aware, it's still not in the emoji library. I mean, I feel like yeah, there are all kinds of weird things that are in there, you know, and this is an icon of the 90s. How is it not? I suppose testament to his fading influence and also the fact that by the time his deal eventually expired in 1996, he actually went back to using his birth name and he became Prince again. Um, he, Over the course of his life, he actually went by a whole lot of different names, including Jamie Starr, Tora Tora, Alexander Nevermind, I quite liked, and Joey Coco. <laughs> um, all quite fun. <laughs> so discreet, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, I 
I'd like to book a hotel room for my client, Joey Coco. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's going to be stand, staying yeah, next to Alexander Nevermind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to see here. I mean, Prince never really changed tack in terms of attacking the record industry, which is fascinating because at one point he did put out another release with Warners, like 20 years later. Yeah. Um, but he was very um, promiscuous with his choice of record labels in the last 20 years of his life. Like after he tried all the rivals to Warners, starting with EMI, ended up going back to Warners, but also self-releasing. He was doing special deals. Do you remember that weird thing where he cover-mounted a CD with the yeah. mail on Sunday, but he hadn't told his record label that he'd done that? Yeah. But also, obviously, very innovative, you know, and aware that distribution was upending the whole way that music came about. And I went to his series of gigs at the O2, and it was incredible. Oh, it was and so he good. understood that it was all about live music. But... Yeah. He carried on talking about the record industry as indentured servitude as recently as 2015. Yeah, I mean, he was also one of the first artists to sell music online. And at the time, I think he saw that as a way of circumventing the control that the record labels had over the distribution of music. In fact, in 2006, he won a Webby Lifetime Achievement Award, which is ironic because he went on to have this reputation as being a bit of a cranky Luddite. Because, he, again, <laughs> I think what happened was that he then became cynical about what was happening to the digital distribution of music as well. I mean, obviously, that would also go into cutting into artist revenue news as well and he later ended up pulling his back catalogue off of streaming and YouTube the only place you could get it was on Tidal you know the streaming service that Jay-Z founded that was supposed to be giving control back to the artists although with classic Prince contrarianism just a week after putting all of his back catalogue on Tidal he then released a song exclusively to Spotify <laughs> so I just I just think he was just take like that demand yeah. Yeah, yeah the benefit for all of us um, as a result of this moment is that we did eventually get to hear all of the songs that were in the vault because they all got released. And we got to hear about what he was working on in 1993 when he wasn't able to release those things. One was a polygender fragrance called Get Wild. Mm -hmm. And the other was a venture into musical theatre called Glam Slam Ulysses, um, <laughs> which was <laughs> the story of Homer's Odyssey accompanied by 13 new Prince songs. It was previewed in Los Angeles. Wow. It flopped horrendously with all the critics who saw it. But I have found this description from a biography of Prince, which has whetted my appetite. On a large screen behind the stage, a beastly cyclops hurls boulders while a live actor bounded across the platform defending himself with a giant sexy love symbol. Dancers in brightly feathered costumes posed as lotus flowers and showered the audiences with spritzes of perfume. Reproductive mutants scrambled across the floor and the video display showed an epic struggle in the club's bathroom stall. <laughs> Arguably, the release of his fragrance was going to be an easier sell than that. <laughs> Tomorrow. Constantly that taste thing of getting something salty and greasy and mm. then something sweet to offset it. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospector. Part of the ACAS Creator Network.